Luke chapter 2. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in swaddling clothes and placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over the flocks at night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby, who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Right now, if I could have the ushers come forward. And ha- no? What did I do wrong? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm having. My name's Your name's. Uh, yeah, usher is coming up. Merry Christmas to you. Let's go ahead and pray one more time before we get into the message. Father, we had asked for your blessing upon your word as it goes out. We know that your blessings are just huge. They're like fountains. They just overflow to those who are all around. And we'd ask that as we continue with this narrative of the birth, the incarnation of the Son, that you would bless it. You would use it in our minds that would be able to meditate upon it and would be able to share it with others. So, Father, may your will be done in this matter. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning we looked at the biblical meaning of Christmas and in studying the incarnation, the birth of Jesus, we had looked at the big plan, how God had started this in, quote-unquote, eternity past, that he decided Jesus would be the Savior. He had come to earth As a baby, as a human being, he would grow up and he would die and he would become the sacrificial lamb for us for the remission of sins. And so I explained how God does big things and I talked about the universe and how if you're to travel through it, you could never get to the end, even traveling at the speed of light. It would just go on forever. We would die before that happened if we tried to do that. And God is interested in the long game. 
So all those things, all those points I made this morning. But there's another side to that. The other side is God takes care of the small stuff as well. God has an individual plan for all of us, and God is very concerned about the here and now. And this is all in the context of looking at the incarnation, the virgin birth. You know, God takes care of the small stuff. And as I did this morning, I started with an illustration of the universe. I'm going to start with something much smaller than that is the universe. This is something that is so small, it is in each one of our trillions of cells that we have as we age and go through this life. In his book, Jim Stevens, he talks about DNA inside of our bodies. You know, God's concerned with the universe out there. He is concerned with the plan of the incarnation. He set it all up. But God is concerned concerned with the day-to-day care of us as individuals as well. And this is going to show how this is. And I'm going to use that as an illustration going into the incarnation of Jesus, how Jesus was taken care of in small ways to ensure that he was okay and that he had sustenance here on earth. So in his book, Jim Stevens, he talks about this DNA. And a Nobel Prize was given in chemistry in 2015, and it was awarded to three men, Thomas Lindahl, Paul Modric, and Aziz Sankar. And what they did is they were checking out the DNA, how the DNA that is in our cells, we start out as a single cell. And as that single cell starts to multiply, and it goes to 128 cells, and then eventually to billions of cells after we are born and we have our existence, the DNA multiplies. And every time it multiplies, there are mistakes in the DNA. And there is this machine, this self-repairing machine that traverses the DNA. And if you know what a DNA helix looks like, it's just twisted and it's inside each one of our cells. And we have enough of that DNA as a full-grown being by the time we get to the end of our lives that it can stretch from here to the sun 250 times back and forth. That's how much DNA we have in our bodies. But there are these, the way that I can describe it, do you guys remember a show called Fraggle Rock? Fraggle Rock had fraggles and it had dozers. And they did their thing beneath all of us is what they did. And they were constantly working. Well, there are things like fraggles and dozers. And they travel the DNA. And when they see a problem, this machine, it's an actual machine, it stops. And it says, well, these two amino acids don't line up. I think they're amino acids that go along the DNA helix that's in there. It's some type of proteins that are in there. And so it sees that, it recognizes that there's a mistake, and it says, you're in the wrong place. It takes it, slices it, cuts out the bad one and puts in the good one and seals it up. This is an actual machine that is in your DNA. These guys discovered it and they said it's just amazing. And God is the one who created that machine. You don't have a machine, a biological machine that acts in such a fashion without intelligence. Well, what else they discovered about this is everybody has it. They said that if a first single cell in the womb, if these machines weren't there the fetus would never make it through the full, full gestation period and become a baby because the DNA is extremely fragile. So without these machines, they also theorized after they looked at this that evolution is impossible because evolution relies on mutations. 
it's a thousand times more difficult with these machines going through and repairing the DNA every time it splits, every time it breaks apart and comes together as another cell. It is a thousand times more difficult for a random mutation to survive with these machines going through the body. And evolution says, well, you know, it's necessary that we have these random processes, that we have these mutations. And the mutations, they're always being corrected. Even now, in your body, these little dozers and fraggles are going through your DNA, and they're repairing these things. And who did that? God did. Why? Because God is concerned about you and your health. You would never make it to full adulthood if this was not in action inside of all of our bodies. And so I, I wanted to explain that not only is God in charge of the big universe and he cares for that in the place that we live, but he cares for our individual bodies. And that's just one process that he set up inside of our bodies. So the small details of the incarnation, the birth of Jesus, who is the Christ, he took care of, number one, Mary. Imagine being a young girl, maybe 13 to 16 years old, as I said this morning, and being pregnant out of wedlock, not in the United States, where they would give you a government check, but in ancient Israel, where it was considered a sin, if it was considered adultery, she would have been stoned. If it would have been considered just an illicit uh, relationship with somebody else who is single, she would have to marry that man. But she comes to Joseph and she says, you know, I'm pregnant. And Joseph goes, oh, they. And he wanted to put her away quietly, as I said this morning. But this idea that God reached out to Joseph, gave him a dream. And in that dream, he said, do not be afraid to take Mary in as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And God can be very specific in communicating with us when he feels it is necessary. He can either speak to us through a dream, he can speak to us audibly, he can speak to us through people, but we can clearly understand his message if he feels it is necessary. He also gave Joseph a skill or a trade to take care of his family, like Bezalel, son of Uri, and Oholiab, son of Ahishamach. Remember we went through uh, the book of Exodus? Those guys were gifted well, his father, Jesus' father, was gifted as well. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 55, it says that he was a carpenter, and that word for carpenter is where we get our word technician. It's called tecton is the word in the Greek. But this technician, it's somebody who is able to work with their hands specifically in a carpenter fashion, not like a smith who would be an iron worker or somebody who is a blacksmith, or a mason, somebody who works with block, but this is a, a specific word. So Joseph's, or Joseph was a carpenter, which Jesus grew up in the family business. He provided a way for Joseph to make an income and provide for his family. Then he provided the birthing place for Jesus. It was a stable and a manger. Now we would say, well, why wasn't it a nice hotel? God determined that it was the exact place that the Savior of the world should be born. Remember the movie Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade? In that movie, there was a Holy Grail. There was a moment where Indiana Jones, he had to go up and he had to find the Holy Grail. And it was a table full of Holy Grails. And the Holy Grails, it's supposed to be the cup that Jesus drank from the Last Supper. And so he had to find a cup that was the Holy Grail. And in the movie, it had healing properties. There's no such thing as a Holy Grail. But anyhow, in the movie, it was there. And all of these cups were lined up with jewels and 
gold and pearls and everything in Indiana Jones. He had to find this particular cup that belonged to the Messiah. And the one he picked was one that was plain. It had nothing on it. It would have been the cup of a carpenter. Even the world understands that Jesus Christ came here to this earth in a humble form, which was an example to us. He came to be the lowliest of the lowly. He washed the feet of his uh, disciples, and he became the servant to them, and he gave that to us as an example. So God provided us even a direction, and he provided that in Jesus Christ, even where he was born. Also, he protected this little family from harm by telling Joseph to go down to Egypt and eventually to settle in Nazareth. And again, this was happening through a dream. God was interested in this little family of three and where they're going and what they were doing. God determined that Jesus should be born the son of a carpenter. It was determined by God that Mary and Joseph would be the earthly parents of God incarnate. It was also determined that Jesus would grow up a Nazarene living in the town of Nazareth. Now, with all this, we have to look at ourselves. Well, what about us? Was it determined that you would come to Lakeside and come to church tonight on Christmas Eve? Yes, it was. How can you say that? I had free will. I came here by myself. This question is answered in Acts chapter 17, verse 26. It says, From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he determined the times set for them in the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. So God did this. He set up Jesus where he was supposed to be taking care of these infinitely small details, at least it seems like it. They're very minute details, but he did the same thing for us. And so God is concerned with the small picture as well. He determined who our parents would be, who our children would be, what the relationships would be, so that we might have the opportunity to be saved. Now with this, some people think, well, God is so far off, he is not here with us. And there's two theological words that we want to deal with in this. God's eminence and God's imminence. Jesus is imminent in his return. It's going to happen like right away. But his eminence means he is here inside of his creation. God took care of the minor detail of becoming one of us. And he became one of us and will be one of us forever. It would be the equivalent of us saying to a group of cells, I'm going to become one of you. A cell is much more complicated than any one of us, but we would look down and say, I'm going to become one of you. And you would be a cell for the rest of your life, or a cat, or a rat, or a dog. You'd say, I'm going to go down and become a dog for the rest of my life. And that's what Jesus did in the Scripture, in the Psalms. It says, he was like a worm, and the worm is actually scale that sets on a piece of cactus, and it bleeds red or crimson when you crush it. And that's what Jesus was compared to, becoming like one of those. So God appeared to Isaac in the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 26, and he said, I will be with you. He appeared to Moses in Exodus 3. He said, I will be with you. He appeared in Judges chapter 6 verse 15 and said to Gideon, I will be with you. In Isaiah, he told the entire Israel nation that I will be with you. And in John chapter 14 verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And that's a reference to the Holy Spirit that he gives to us. So each one of us he is interested in, and none of this is, is possible without the incarnation of Jesus coming, being born, dying on the cross, and sending us his Holy Spirit. So he's good with the big picture, the big plan, the long-term goal that he has out there, but he's also interested in the day-to-day care 
of our lives. He is waiting for us to sup with him. He dwells inside of us. And if we just ignore him, especially this time of year where we recognize his birth, we are neglecting the greatest gift that we could possibly have, and that is communion with God our Father. And we want to make sure we take advantage of that. There is no one who has ever loved us more than Jesus Christ himself. And because of this incarnation, he made us aware of it. And that leads us to the closing verse, which is John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever should believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. So at this time, if the worship team could come up, please.